Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. So, we are doing a series called This Thing Called Love. And if you were with us last time we were together, we were talking about the agape love of God and how much uh, we're supposed to love people like God loves people. Some of you remember this. Some of you are going to have to go back and watch the archive. Today we're going to do tainted love. We're going to pick up on infatuation. But none of you have ever been infatuated with anything, I'm sure. By definition, it's an intense feeling of attraction for something or someone. More often than not, this is mistaken for love. I'm going to explain this as we go through today. But I want to read for you Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24 in the Amplified Version. And it says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with undying and incorruptible love. And we know that God's love is pure. God's love is not corruptible. And, and he's kind of greeting everyone who loves Jesus and saying, look, we have this undying and this uncorruptible love. Infatuation is a substitute. It's not an undying love. But uh, Kim and Sarah have prepared for us an amazing illustration of infatuation. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Who loves you? Oh, Jasper. Oh, and I love him so much. I love the way he looks. Oh, I love the way he makes me feel when he looks at me. Oh, I love the way his kind lips roll off his plump lips when he speaks to the very depth of my soul. Oh, I love the way his confident swagger carries him down the hall. Oh, and I love the way his smell lingers filling the photocopier room. Wait, are you talking about Jasper from accounting? Oh, it seems like just yesterday when we first locked eyes on each other, but oh, it was Tuesday. Yesterday was Tuesday. Well, time stands still when you're having fun. No, it doesn't. Wait a minute. What kind of fun are you having with Jasper in accounting? The kind, lucky women like me can only dream of. Oh, you're dreaming. You actually haven't spent any time with him yet. Well, no, not yet, but... We were meant to be together. Girl, you need to come off of that cloud nine you're floating on and right back down to reality because you don't even know this guy. You don't know him. You don't. Like a river flows, surely to the sea. Darling, so it goes. Some things are meant to be. Infatuation, that ain't nothing but infatuation. Say what? 
Self-destruction. You're heading for self-destruction. Look at this face. I know the years are showing. True. Look at this life. I still don't know where it's going. No, you don't. I don't know much, but I know I love him. And that may be all I need to know. But my mama said, you can't hurry love. No, you just have to wait. Love don't come easy. It's a game of give and take. Oh, what are we going to do with those guys? Hey, that skit's going to be continued in two weeks. You're going to want to come back and catch the continuation of it. Infatuation. So how many know there was a couple instances of infatuation in the Bible? Okay, so you need to open your Bible. Start reading through it. <laughs> Uh, let's start with Samson, Judges 14, verses 1 and 2. One day when Samson went to Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> How many of you tried that? How'd that work out for you? See, one of the things about infatuation is I want it and I want it now. <clears throat> and often this comes into relationships and we see like young Sarah there. I mean, she's having an imaginary relationship with a guy that doesn't maybe not even know her name. Maybe he does. But what I want to get to here in verse 3, and when I study these, I like to look at multiple translations, believe it or not. I know I teach a lot from New Living, but I read others. The Orthodox Jewish Bible has a lot of Hebrew words in it, and I think it really highlights one aspect of this that sometimes is left out. In verse 3, it says, Get her for me, for she is Yajra, or right, in my eyes. Another way that that word Yajra can be interpreted besides right is lawful. So we see Samson started creating his own standard of morality for what is right and what is lawful because he was infatuated with this woman he saw. Sorry. He became, she became his wife and then that didn't last so she got given to his best man. And then a little bit later, a little bit later he meets Delilah. See, what I want you to understand about this is when we get into infatuation, we throw away the moral code that God has set up. Because all of a sudden, we determine what's right and we determine what's wrong. We determine what's lawful. God already told him, stay away from the Philistine women. In those days, he wasn't supposed to go and get into covenant relationship with them, but he did. But he determined that God didn't know what he was talking about. So I'm going to go do this because I deem that it's right. How often do we do that in our world today? We've got a whole culture full of people that basically set the standard for what is right and wrong based on what they feel 
what they think. It has nothing to do with the fact that God is the moral lawgiver and he wrote the book. See, I hear this in apologetics all the time. Well, is God subject to morality or are we subject to the whims of a maniacal dictator God? And the answer is neither. Because see, God is morality. It's an attribute of his character. He's not subject to it because it's who he is. And he doesn't interact with us based on how he's feeling that day. He interacts on us based on his law and his word, based on what's truth. So God, because he created us and breathed us into existence, has the right to set the moral code. Whether you like it or not, he has the right to set the moral code. And what he's done is he's revealed that to humans in his book that we call the Bible. So we have the Bible, which is God's book. It's been proven through multiple generations, multiple years. It's been tested and proven through multiple cultures that it'll change your life. And God revealed to us what he once said to us in his word about how we're supposed to live and govern our lives. But we've got a culture now that's shifting more towards what we call humanism, where man thinks that they know what's right and what's wrong. Now, how many of you know what's right and what's wrong? Let me rephrase the question. (laughs) Is there anyone out there that thinks they have a good handle about what's right and what's wrong? Now, if you got the Spirit of God inside you and you're reading the Bible, hopefully that's going to help shape and form your worldview and help you determine what's right and what's wrong. Are we doing okay? So here's what happens when humans decide by themselves what's right and what's wrong. A few years ago, and I might have mentioned this a long time ago, but I'll say it again. I was reading this article by a judge in Minnesota. He was an appeals court judge, so not just a low judge, but a higher judge. And he was writing this opinion piece on a very horrible topic. But here's the gist of what he was trying to say. I'm going to simplify a long document. If a man derives more pleasure than the pain and discomfort it would cause a woman when the man forces himself on her, why should we penalize him for that? And because Kinsey's research shows that there's no long-term pain to the woman physically, why, why would we punish a man for forcing himself on a woman? Now, I don't agree with his conclusion, but this is what we're dealing with when mankind starts trying to think about what's right and wrong. Now watch, Kinsey was a pedophile rapist. I don't care what anyone says, okay? And and there's some huge problems with the way he gathered his data. But he also left out the whole emotional, spiritual pain and suffering that women go through in those type of situations. None of that's included, which means that it's just about this natural, there's no mind, there's no body, or no spirit. Now, how many of you know you have emotions? Has anyone ever had your feelings hurt? Has anyone never had their feelings hurt? tough crowd today. (laughs) So watch. Mankind has concluded that it's okay to force yourself on a woman, 
right? Or, or this guy did. Because now he's put himself in a place where he's going to determine what's right and what's wrong. Now, you and I might think, well, that's crazy. How could that ever be? But when we look at mankind without God setting the moral code, it creates huge problems for us because who's to say what's right and who's to say what's wrong? Because what I think is right and what you think is right might be totally different. This creates massive problems for us as people. When you determine what is right and wrong based on your feelings on the matter, removing God and the Holy Spirit from the equation, it's often going to lead to selfish and self-centered conclusions. And this will happen in every arena of your life. So God sets the standard for morality, and we need to adhere to that standard. There's a guy named Max Lucado. He wrote a book for kids. It's for adults too, but it's a children's book. It's called You Are Special. And in the book, the gist of the story is there's a man named Eli, and he created these wooden people called Wimmicks. And the Wimmicks go around, and they compare themselves to one another. And the Wimmicks that do good deeds, they give stars to. So they give stars to each other. Look how great this one is. Look at all the stars on this one. And the ones that don't do such good deeds, they give spots to. So first service for me was a little bit tough. Maybe I'm not awake enough yet, but I like left out the baptism call and I played the video before they sang that amazing song. And then I called for the drama at the wrong point. Like I didn't communicate to Kim when I was supposed to do the, like there was like, it was a perfect storm of things, right? I would have got a lot of spots if there was Wimmicks out here. A spot for you, a spot from this one, a spot for this one. But there's this one Wimmick, his name is Punchinello, he's got a lot of spots because he spills his tea <laughs> and trips over the monitor <laughs> and mumbles his words. But Punchinello, he ends up in the creator's workshop, Eli. And they, they try to discourage him from going to talk to Eli, but when he sits with Eli, Eli starts speaking to his identity and who he made him to be. And it's interesting, as Punchinello listens to Eli, the creator, and gets his identity sorted out, the spots stop sticking to him and they fall off. What a great picture for us today. Because as you spend time in the presence of God, you care less about what the culture thinks and more about what the creator thinks. And you become who he's called you to be and you become secure in who he made you. And then other people aren't gonna affect you to the same degree when they say things. And when we look at infatuation, which is this unnatural affection for a person or possibly for an object, you know, we can go on to Instagram. What did that young lady get accused of the other day? She was an influencer, whatever that is. I have so many followers and I can be an influencer. Instead of being on this great vacation in, I think it was Bali, <laughs> She was sitting in an Ikea taking pictures of herself, pretending like she was in this other country on this great vacation. <laughs> now, for me, I'm like, really? Why? Who has that kind of time? <laughs> but at the end of the day, we compare ourselves to other people. I mean, let's think about it. How much time did you spend doing your hair this morning? I can tell you how much time I spent mine. 
I'm not saying don't do your hair. But what's most important to us? Because a lot of times we put emphasis on the wrong things. If I get the right shoes like Pastor Howie or if I have the right hair like Pastor Michael. <laughs> or if I got the right outfit like someone else, maybe I'll be okay. You know, we all need to wear clothing. This is good. <laughs> and beneficial. Okay. But what happens is your clothing to a large degree should not define who you are. You know, a reflection of you and your unique style. I'm okay with that. But I don't have to have an $800 purse or MERS to be cool. You know what a MERS is, right? A man purse? It doesn't make you cool. You are cool or you're not cool. You're in the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom. You're confident in who you are or you're not confident in who you are. But see, these things, we try to be people that we're not or we try to compare ourselves to people that are fake and plastic. And it, you're chasing something that is impossible to achieve. There's another illustration of this in the Bible. Amnon and Tamar. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, I'm going to pick up and I'm going to read 1 and 2, the first part, and then I'm going to jump to 15. Now, David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love for her. Now, that's, that's the first sign that we're having a little bit of a challenge with this. When you're desperately in love with someone, you better stop and look in the mirror and say, what am I doing? Because so many people are so desperate to receive love that they'll tolerate anything. Never allow yourself to accept something that's not acceptable because you're desperate. If you get your relationship with Christ right, you'll receive the love that you need. And then you'll be much better equipped and able to set the proper standard and boundaries in the relationships around you. We see that Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. <laughs> oh my goodness, man, this guy had it bad for his half-sister. He made himself sick. We just have to have her. Did anyone ever have a crush when you were young? Some of you are still young and have crushes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But realistically, how many of the people that you had a crush on growing up actually knew who you were? <laughs> they knew your name. They recognized you and greeted you when you saw them. Or was it just someone that you saw and you thought that they were cute and you had this unnatural affection for? Is there anyone in this service old enough to remember Elvis? <laughs> Any young ladies? I mean, how many of you wanted Elvis to sing to you? Because I just can't help falling in love. Who did you crush on? And was it infatuation or was it love because if it's just the idea that's exotic and exciting but there's no substance to the relationship it's infatuation oh i'm still telling the story with amnon and his sister half sister i'm gonna jump to verse 15. so amnon tricked his sister into coming over to cook for him and feed him he gets her alone and he forces himself on her it's horrible, actually. 
But then, this is interesting, it says, then suddenly Amnon's love, which wasn't really love, it was infatuation, turned to hate. And he hated her even more than he loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. Think about that. He got what he wanted, and then he don't love her no more. It's not love, it's infatuation. He had to have it. He had to have a sister. The euphoria and excitement of the moment was gone, and he realized that the deeper commitment that love requires was not for him. Now, I just want to connect a few more dots here. Let's fast forward a little bit. One of David's sons rebelled against him and tried to take the kingdom. Remember which one that was? That was Absalom. Who was Tamar? His sister. Not half-sister, sister-sister. Okay, let's go back. David, did he deal with Amnon like he was supposed to? He didn't. Why would David not deal with his son like he was supposed to deal with his son? Well, let's back up some more. Didn't David find himself in a very similar circumstance when he took this lady named Bathsheba away from her husband and had her husband killed? See, David's sin put him in a position where even though he was in a position where he needed to judge it, he didn't because he looked at his own sin and said, I can't, I can't speak to that. See how that works? I'm just drawing some lines here to show you how it's connected. But it created some huge problems for David when Absalom tried to take the kingdom. And he took all his wives and concubines, etc., etc. What a mess that made. Let's just say it wasn't the best day in the house of David and the lineage of David when Absalom rebelled. Infatuation versus love. Infatuation is driven by emotion, whereas true love is driven by commitment. Infatuation, you must have it now, versus waiting until it's the proper time with love. People infatuated can easily abandon their values, but love is faithful and true. You know, when you start focusing on people instead of Christ, it's going to create some problems for you. I don't know how many people I've talked to over the years, and I hear something like this. But pastor, he comes to church and he even lifts his hands during worship. <laughs> of course he lifts his hands during worship, young lady. Do you know why he lifts his hands during worship? Because he wants something from you and he knows that if he plays that... He's going to get what he wants, isn't he? Boy, he fooled you easy. Where the young man comes in and says, she's a spiritual person, pastor. Okay. God made people. Spirit, soul, and body. We are all spiritual people. We're all spiritual we all have a spirit. We're made in the image of God. You have your earth suit you live in, you have your mind, your will, your emotions, and you have your spirit. We're all spiritual. Here's the difference. Some spirits are in relationship with Christ and they live in holiness as God called us to. Other people are not in connection with God and they don't live in holiness, they live according to the flesh. And the Bible does a good job of contrasting the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But see, what happens is, what does spiritual mean? <laughs> oh, I'm pursuing the purple halo. I have to find the inner light. 
A lot of times when people tell me they're spiritual, it's because they're trying to define what is right and what is wrong in and of themselves. You're not going to find it within you because it's not something that you create. But see, the pastor list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And people make excuses for tolerating bad relationships that they shouldn't be in. People make excuses because they're so desperate to be loved. But I'm telling you, if you back up and get your relationship with Christ right, you won't run into that problem because you're immediately going to see someone that's not reflecting him good and go, uh-uh, don't want that. Don't want that. Not interested. And you'll draw the line. And you know what? If someone is trying to get you to live against your conviction, especially your faith conviction with Christ, this is what you do. See ya. But if you're infatuated with them, you will try to compromise everything that you believe. And you'll try to make it work. And you'll try to compromise and say, oh, well, maybe we can do this. Maybe we'll go to my church on Sunday and next week we'll stay home. You know God wants his people to come together in fellowship on a regular basis, more so as the day of the Lord approaches. That's for all of you once a month people and once every other week people and once every quarter people and your Christmas and Easter people. He wants you connected with his body on a regular basis. I would say at least, you know, two or three times a week you should be with his people. What? Yeah, you go to church, spend some time with your Christian friends, maybe go to a mentor group and volunteer somewhere. We are Christians, right? We are taking on the nature and character of Christ. Hey, some of you go to AA, some of you have AA meetings every day. Why? For accountability. In Christianity, we need a mutual accountability with one another so we can live the Christian life and keep each other on the straight and narrow, and when someone gets discouraged, we pick them up. People infatuated can easily abandon their values, but love is faithful and true. How about cares for self versus cares for other? Because infatuation is all about who? Self. Infatuation makes demands. Love sacrifices self-will and gives. Infatuation is reckless pursuit, whereas love is patient endurance. How about this one? Do you know you can get addicted to infatuation? You don't believe me? Do the research. Read the articles. They've done research. When people are operating in infatuation, the excitement and the euphoria of the moment actually releases the same chemicals in your brain as smoking crack. Crack cocaine, not even lying. But here's what you gotta know, and a lot of people don't understand this. When, you, and I haven't done this, I just read about it. When you take a drug like cocaine for the first time, you get high, and life is good until you get on high. Watch. Physiologically, your body changes after the first use of the new drug. Changes, and it becomes physically impossible for you to ever obtain the same high you did the first time. And that's a great fallacy with drug use, why? Because they think that maybe if I increase the dose, I can go back there. But you're chasing a fairy tale because your immune system kicked in and your body has resistance. It'll never affect you the same way as it did the first time. 
The same is true with infatuation. Remember when you had your first crush and you walked down the street, but you kind of floated? Woo! <laughs> Jasper in the accounting room. Gosh. But you know, as you get older, it doesn't have quite the same impact. But people get addicted to this and they go from relationship to relationship, from relationship to relationship. Why? Because they don't understand what love is. They're trying to create their own standard of what is right and what is wrong, and they're willing to compromise what they believe to chase a fairy tale. Infatuation produces emptiness. True love produces security and peace. Infatuation will overrule your rational thought. True love is content and stable. Infatuation starts quick like a flash and then burns out quickly. True love will increase and deepen over time. Infatuation is not real, it's often delusional. True love is unconditional. Infatuation ends abruptly, ends abruptly, but true love never fails. In Colossians 3.2, the Bible tells us to think about things of heaven, not the things of earth. What are you thinking about? What do you focus on? Are you so focused on having that new car you forget about all the people in your life? Are you so focused on that new outfit you forget that there's people that you live with or you are in relationship with? Are you so focused on the relationship you forget about your main relationship with Christ? See, as Christians, Christ followers, people that are made in his image, our first priority is our relationship with him. We have our relationship with God first. And then when we're following him, we come into relationship with one another. But you know, if you put your husband or wife above God, you've got your relationship out of order. If you put your kids above God or your husband or wife, you've got your relationships out of order. And see, too many times we get our relationships out of order. Or if you put this new relationship up on this pedestal, Love is something that you commit to and something that you work on. And as soon as some hard things come, you have some conversations and you work through it together. There's a huge difference between tainted love, infatuation, and true love. And too many people get distracted with the fantasy and they don't focus on the real that they have. And you see this. You see this. I want to read another verse to you. James 3, I'm going to read verse 13 to 18. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous, jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Wow. Interesting. Infatuation almost always leads to jealousy and selfish ambition. That's a good way to know if someone's infatuated with you. They're super jealous and super selfish. Red flags should be going off in that relationship all over the place. And I'm not saying to leave your husband and wife. I'm not saying that. And then people lie and boast about things 
They exaggerate the truth to make themselves look better. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. They're not. Because it's the world's way where we set our own standard of right and wrong. We create our own moral code. We create our own, our own version of what it's supposed to look like. You know, I don't mean to pick on them, but a lot of people look to these actors and actresses in Hollywood and these big-name singers that write songs and they have lots of following. And they look to them to be examples, but they're not. They haven't figured this out yet. Would one lady stay married the other day? 11 days? Not even. Not her first time around or second time around. Or th- you think after three or four times you'd figure this out? Like, I mean, has anyone ever fallen down the stairs at your house? How many know when you come to the stairs the next time, maybe you want to slow down a little bit? Grab the handrail? Put your helmet on at the top of the stairs. <laughs> you know, yesterday, I'm in the kitchen, and what did I do? I whacked my hand on the quartz. Wow, that hurt. So you know what I did last night? I whacked my hand on another counter. And then, like, literally four seconds later, I whacked my hand on a third one, and I'm like, okay, what is wrong with me today? My hand still hurts. But see, we need to learn from these things, not continue on in them. You don't continue on making the same mistakes over and over again, do we? If you find yourself in a bad relationship, walk away, especially if you're not married. If you're married, go to the counselor's office and get some help. Start praying for one another and serving one another. Selfishness is a huge hindering factor in separation of marriage. Because you go in with the fairy tale thinking that it's all about you and you get into a real relationship and you find out that you're supposed to serve one another. Oh my goodness, did I just pop someone's balloon? For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Selfish behavior is not spiritual, it's demonic. There you will find disorder in every evil, an evil of every kind. But the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. What are you planning today? Are you planning peace? Are you a peacemaker? Are you reaping righteousness in your life? Are you not reaping righteousness? Because if you sow discord, not only does God not like you, he hates you. But if you're sowing discord, you're not going to be reaping righteousness. So we have to come to the place where let's, let's grow up as individuals and have mature relationships based on the love of God, not based on fantasy of infatuation. And you know, you've got a whole lot of entertainment industry that's working against you in this, because in the entertainment industry, life has all kinds of problems it throws at you, and everything resolves either in 22 minutes, the sitcoms, or two hours, the rom-coms, the romantic comedies. All life's problems resolve in about two hours. And when you get in a real relationship and it doesn't resolve in two hours because you're just coming down and willing to talk to each other after two hours, but none of you have ever been there. Some of you are like, I haven't spoken to him in two years. What are you talking about, two hours? 
that leads me to this next area. Because we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together, communion. And it's really important that you take a minute and examine your heart as we come to the table. You can stand up with me. And if you didn't have a chance to grab one on your way in, you know, the ushers will help you find one. But the Bible tells us when we come to the table that you have to forgive people that you have unforgiveness against before you partake of the Lord's Supper. So if you have unforgiveness against someone, now's the time you say, oh, I release them, God. I forgive them. Because you want your heart to be in a good place. And then as you release forgiveness, you can also receive the forgiveness of Jesus because this is like covenant stuff. This is a covenant meal, man. This is what we celebrate, our covenant with Christ. We celebrate his death and resurrection till he comes again. And in that, there's forgiveness. In that, there's freedom. In that, there's hope. Some of you have some relationships that you need to put on the altar today. Some of you have some relationships you probably need to walk away from. You know, people are either influencing you towards Christ or away from him. If you're being influenced away from him with your relationships, you might want to look in the mirror and say, why am I doing this? Father, I thank you for the bread in our hands that represents your body that was broken for us. Jesus, you loved us so much that you came and lived among us. And you really loved us because you put your money where your mouth was and you died for us. And we're so excited that you didn't stay dead and you rose from the dead so that we can receive wholeness. So Father, I speak to anybody out of alignment with your word right now and I declare healing in any mind that is anxious or afraid or depressed or discouraged, we speak the life of God, the strength of God, the courage of God, the love of God. Because we don't have to live afraid. We live in love. So today, Lord, as we've released forgiveness, we receive forgiveness now in Jesus' name. The cup, which represents his blood, is poured out for your sin and mine. Father, there's power in the blood of Jesus. And we declare that power over our lives. And I thank you that you make a way and Lord, for those that are trying to obtain love in all the wrong places, help them to realize right now, true love is you. And in you, there's fullness of joy and completeness. So Father, we surrender our hearts to you now. And I ask that you're going to activate faith, activate hope, and activate love in each person here. That they can gladly serve you and serve each other as you desire for us to do. And Lord, that we would look to you to determine what is right and wrong in our lives. We won't come to those conclusions without counsel from your word, the Bible. In Jesus' name.
So I want to encourage you right now. If you need someone to agree with you in prayer, come on down to the front. Our ministry teams will be here. They'll pray with you. They'll believe God with you. If you're a guest here, we'll see you down the hall in our guest lounge. God bless you all. We'll look forward to talking to you next time. Have a great week.